over the past few weeks, we've been looking at our default positions in our different attitudes and the way we need to change our default. And as it says in Romans 12, we need to be transformed by the renewal of our minds because it's in our minds that the major battles of our lives are fought and won. It's not our circumstances that determine how we feel or what we do. It's what we believe about our circumstances, isn't it? I mean, that was uh, well uh, illustrated when the snow came. It was the same circumstances. Some of us loved it, some of us hated it. Same circumstances. What goes on in your mind, what you think about, what's going on around you, that determines what we do. Because what we, what, we, what we think about stuff affects how we feel about stuff, and how we feel about stuff affects what we do about stuff. You get that? Yeah. Okay, good. Good, good. So, to lead better lives, we need to adjust our thinking to godly thinking. We're looking today at contentment as opposed to discontent. But what is contentment? I don't think it's a blind acceptance or resignation to the status quo. I don't think that's what it is at all. But in the dictionary, it says it is to be satisfied. I was at a conference with Eileen last weekend, and uh, during one of the sessions, we were supposed to turn to our neighbours and say, a complete stranger, and say something good about them that they saw. It was a very, very strange thing to do, really. But the guy sitting next to me... Uh, it must have been a God thing because he knew what I was going to preach on today. The guy next to me turned to me and he said, you look very content. What a weird thing to say. I turned to him and I said, well, you look very clean. <laughs> <laughs> he looked exceptionally tidy um, and he was, in fact, coming in day by day. He wasn't actually camping out at the place um, or, you know, living out of a suitcase like the rest of us. That's what I meant and I did explain. But this thing called contentment, and it's really strange because actually I wouldn't have said I was because it was one of those conferences where you sit on these plastic seats and they're all tie wrapped together. You've got room for your bum but not for your shoulders. Do you know what I mean? So you're sitting like this and if you're taking notes you have to lean forward so you can actually move. It was one of those things. But contentment, weird thing. When I was younger and newly married, we lived in a one-bedroom flat and the baby came along. Can you imagine how content we were then? No, we were quite discontent. And um, we, we longed for a house and we were in a council flat. And so what we used to do, because the council said there were no houses, we used to go for walks with the baby and we used to look around for empty houses. That's what we used to do. And we used to go to the council and we'd say, well, number 40, Nutley's empty. And they would say, oh, no, that's going to be taken. Anyway, um, we, we found a number 89 Oaken Gates. And we thought, that's a really nice place. It's got a garage on the front. Ideal. Tickety-boo. Went to the council, said 89 Oaken Gates is, is empty. And within two days, they said, you can have it. Woo! Contentment. It was huge. Actually, it shrunk over the years. I don't know how that happens, but it has shrunk over the years. Um, and as we were, we kind of got more and more kit. Well, we've only got two, but it seems like more and more. Um, uh, we used to take our children for walks around the local area and, and to get from our house to the woods, you'd go through another estate because we were like on the council side and then there was the posh side at the other side of the road and you used to have to walk... Sorry? Were you on the posh side? No, I was on the council side, darling. Still am. And um, <laughs> I'm as an association now. But <laughs> so, and we used to cross over and then on the way back, we used to walk past all these houses... And I tell you, I grew discontent. 
I would see these lovely big houses, and I thought, oh, I could really do with that extra space, and my children, I always... Double garage, that would be really good. We only had one car, but do you know how we really... And I, and I felt this discontent rising up in me, and I really had to fight against it. So, um, yeah. And I think life is like that, isn't it? You know, we, we, this is constant fighting of discontent. But I think there is, there is also a good kind of discontent. Um, I think there's a thing, um, there's the, the, the stuff I've just been talking about, I think that's quite a destructive discontent because it robs you of the now. Do you know what I mean? And, and you're kind of living in the possibility in the future. And you're kind of, oh, if only, if only. And you, you miss the goodness of what we, ha- what we have now. Because my house was great. I can remember moving in. We had a garden. I remember the first time I did my washing and hung it out and it was dry the same day. It was like, oh, it's like heaven. Anyway, so... But I, so I think that's quite a destructive discontent when you kind of, you know, it just grips hold of you. Um, but there is, I think, a, another kind of discontent, which I think is good, which is a divine discontent, I'll call it. Um, I remember a few years ago, a long, long time ago, a man called Dave Gregory joining this church. And I'd been a Christian about 10 years by that time. And Dave came in and he'd been a Christian three years. He was nominated to the leadership. And I thought, what have I been doing with my Christian life 10 years? I'm older than him as a Christian. This is appalling. And, I, you know, you wouldn't have nominated me for a leader then, honestly. You know, you wouldn't. Because I kind of drifted, I let life go. I just, you know, you just sort of sat there, came to church, went home. That was, that was the depth of my Christian life. I read the Bible. You know, the sort of thing. But when I saw David, I determined to sort it out. So there is that divine discontent. Yes? And, and there are other things that you should be discontent about. I think injustice and things like that. And things we've been praying about today. So I don't want you to get me wrong. I don't want you to think that all discontent is wrong. There's destructive discontent, which is basically about me. Yeah? And there is divine discontent, which is about the things that God is discontent about. So anyway, there is this discontent, this destructive discontent. And I suspect that I'm not alone in this. I suspect that you are like me. Hands up if you have been like me. Oh, thank you. Okay. Because we are bombarded with images. We're surrounded by stuff, aren't we? You've got to get a bigger, better, faster, newer thing. Or younger, sexier. Uh, kinder person do you know it's not just about stuff it's about people as well and I just wonder what is it that you are thinking right now would make your life so much better if only you had do you know what I mean what are you discontented about so there is this discontent in us and um but we as a people have been designed and created by a loving God. And we can learn from the Bible about this. So what about the story in the Bible right at the beginning? Adam and Eve. They were in a great place, weren't they? Fantastic. There was this beautiful garden. They had everything they needed. They had each other. They had a, a relationship with God. It talks about him walking with them in the garden, talking to them. Uh, they'd been given all the animals. They'd been given all this food to eat. But... It was like just one thing they couldn't have. So they got this destructive discontent. We've got all this, 
But to heck with all that, we want that. And it shows, that story shows the destructive power of discontent. And there's another story in the Bible, a bit later on, about a king called David. Very powerful man, king of Israel. Do you remember him? I remember him. You remember him? Right. And he had everything. He had quite a few wives. He was very well respected, very well loved by the country. And then he saw this lady bathing one day. He got a bit discontent. Decided, I know I've got this, I know I've got that, but I want that. I want the thing that I can't have. And it was a very destructive discontent. It ended up with adultery, an unplanned pregnancy, and the untimely death of this woman's husband. The destructive power of discontent. It's a deadly disease. And it can lead to debt, relationship breakdown, workaholism, ambition overload, and most of all, heartache. But discontent is not about how much or how little we have. It's about our default attitude. It's about what's going on in our heads. There are times and things that we believe we should positively cultivate. There are times and things that we should, when we should positively cultivate divine discontent. Do you know God was discontent with the way people were living without knowing him? He was discontent with the religious picture that was being interpreted of him to the ordinary people and he was so discontented he decided I've got to sort this out and he sent his son Jesus and he came to earth because God was discontent divinely discontent Jesus came and he demonstrated that divine discontent himself with the way people were misusing what was going on in the temple with the way people were marginalized by the religious people by the way people were judgmental and saying they were judgmental in the name of God He demonstrated that discontent. So sometimes it is right to be discontent about injustice, about poverty, about the lack of hope in people's lives. But Jesus tells us, don't worry about stuff, clothes, food, etc. He doesn't want us to be eaten up with discontent about stuff. And it was a man called Paul, an earlier follower of Jesus, who wrote this letter in the Philippians. And I'm going to read you a, a section of it. It's in chapter 4, if you're following this, and it's in verse 10 to 20 I'm going to read. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any way and in every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only, For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. Not that I'm looking for a gift, but I'm looking for what may be credited to your account. I've received full payment and even more. I'm amply supplied 
now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gift you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever. Amen. Amen. Paul tells them that he has learnt, learnt to be content, whatever the circumstances. He says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. And I have learnt the secret of being content in any and every situation. In other letters, you read about the reality of what Paul's talking about. He isn't saying this lightly. He suffered from being beaten, imprisoned, <coughs> shipwrecked, etc., 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 persecuted. He knows what it is to be in all these kinds of situations. But it's interesting to say that he's learned to be content if he has plenty or he has nothing. Because we can be just as discontent when we have plenty as when we have nothing. In fact, if you travel the world, you will find some of the most content people are some of the poorest. And some of the richest people are some of the most discontent. You get the impression, though, from what Paul's saying, that contentment has not come easily to him. He twice says... I have learnt. I have learnt to be content. Contentment is nothing to do with how much or how little we have. I said that before. It's to do with our default attitude. I think that this is something that comes as you put in place all the other default attitudes that we've been talking about over the last few weeks. So what can we do to get out of these patterns of destructive discontent? To, as Paul says, live in and for the one who gives us the strength and enables us to, to do everything we need. And realise that the key areas of life that bring us the most goodness have nothing to do with stuff. Our circumstances, how much or how little we have materially. The first area that brings us the greatest of this is Relationships. We can love people no matter our circumstances. And if you are discontent in your relationship, rebuild it. Don't look around for another one, a better one. This is a huge arena for destructive discontent. Instead, replace it with this divine discontent, which looks to make your relationship better and better, whether that's a friendship or your partner. Unfortunately, there are images around us on films, etc., that feed our discontent. There is portrays the ideal, unreal love. And sometimes, actually, when I watch my uh, chick flicks, I don't really want to watch them with my husband there. Because when they talk about, you know, like in Sleepless in Seattle, sorry, I've watched it several times. You know, when, when mum te- says, you know, when I... First touch dad's hand, you know, you know what it's like. And she says, what? Magic. I think, well, what if Don doesn't feel that with me? You know, it sort of feeds these, it feeds these discontentments. You know, our, our relationships are real. So replace the judgment that you have with your partner, because we do judge each other, don't we? Even the people we're married to. Replace that. With love, as we were talking about before. Do loving things if you don't feel loving. The second thing that gives us 
the greatest sense of contentment, I think, is purpose. Paul had a very clear understanding of his purpose in life. And we can find purpose in our lives too, no matter what our circumstances, no matter what we've got. The purpose that we have universally, if you like, is loving God and loving people. That's a huge purpose. Now, individually, that's worked out in different ways. But we each have a destiny that only us as individuals can fulfill. And we have, thirdly, an eternal destiny. We have an eternal destiny with God. No matter what happens, nothing can take that away from us. Jesus doesn't mind how much or how little we have. Our eternal destiny is dependent only on him, the one who will only be content when the kingdom of God comes in everyone's life. So, can you imagine what our lives would feel like if we all dumped destructive discontent and learnt to be content? Can you imagine what that would be like? Boring. Boring. I don't think so. What would our families look like? What would our communities and our country look like if we stopped being so acquisitive? And searching for that other thing that we haven't quite got yet. Do you know, Eileen and I, as I said, were away at a conference at the weekend. And um, at that conference, um, we, were, we learned the true meaning of the word holy. Now, we, we bandy that about quite a lot, don't we? And we sing songs about it. And we, um, we sing it because God said early on in, in the Old Testament, he said, Be holy because I am holy. Now, if you actually don't know what the word holy means, how can you be it? Okay. Now, my, my kind of take on the word holy was because it was sort of like set apart, different, pure. Oh, not going to be me. Okay, so, but actually, the original word holy meant different. God said to his people, be different because I'm different. And what he meant was that he was different from all the other gods that they were used to seeing around the place. And all the other gods were destructive. They weren't compassionate. They were far away. They had to be appeased. If you wanted crops, you had to sacrifice this and that and that. And he basically, the whole story of the Old Testament is God showing that he's not like that. He's different. He's a God who reaches out, who is kind, who is compassionate, who is forgiving, who is loving. And he's saying to the people, I'm different. You've got to be different. If you don't believe me, look at Jesus. Wasn't he different? Everything he stood for was kind of breaking what everybody else took for granted. He challenged people all the time. He shows us what real holiness looks like. God is saying to his people, be different because I'm different. If we realigned all our defaults to biblical ones, wow. I say again, wow, that would be different, wouldn't it? In a world so quick to judge, we would be quick to love. How cool would that be? In a world tainted by cynicism, we would be people overflowing with gratitude. In a world so weighed down with disappointment, we we could be the people living in and bringing hope to others. 
in a world that feeds on our dissatisfaction and drawing people into destructive dissatisfaction, we would be a people living in contentment and showing others that life can be really satisfying now. That would really be different, wouldn't it? That would be what being holy looks like. We have to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Let's pray. Holy Father, we pray that the stuff that we've been learning over the last few weeks, which is in your word, that we would take on board. And I know it's difficult. But Lord, I pray that by the power of your spirit, you would help us to be holy because you are holy. That you would help us to be different because you are different. Lord, so often we just look like everybody else. We act like everybody else. We talk like everybody else. Lord, help us to be different. Not in a pious way. Not in a stuck up, better than you lot way but Lord in a way that shows love and compassion and hope and trust and contentment Lord renew our minds we pray in Jesus name Amen